You've probably heard quite a lot about the idea of space-based power, where you put up a bunch of solar collecting arrays and then you beam the power down to space through microwaves. And it's going to be complicated and expensive to do that. And you're always sort of comparing that to just make more solar panels or build batteries or wires here on Earth. And it's going to be a while before it's really competitive with Earth-based solar power. But there's an interesting idea that I ran into to use reflectors in space that would reflect sunlight down onto Earth-based solar farms. And maybe you can extend their day length and provide more power. So my guest today is Dr. Onur Telek. He is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Glasgow. He focuses on space technology and he has done research into would reflectors work. And so imagine you've got this big space satellite, like a big solar sail in space that is directing itself towards various solar farms and reflecting the sunlight directly at them, but then also sort of turning itself edgewise when it's not needed, so it's not causing sky glare. So some interesting possibilities, and not just for the Earth, but also from other places around the solar system. So uh, enjoy this interview about space reflectors. So when we think about power coming from space, like the traditional idea is like some big satellite in space that is collecting power and then beaming it down to Earth with some kind of microwaves. But you're suggesting something a little different. Yes. So um, what we suggest is essentially reflecting sunlight from space because the sun is always available uh, in, in space, but because the, the Earth rotates, essentially solar power farms stay idle after um um, you know, in an evening or early morning hours where there's a lot of uh, demand for electricity, but there's very little contribution from uh, solar energy because we simply don't have uh, enough of it. So the idea is to um, use these large reflectors, lightweight uh, and thin sort of aluminum foil-like reflectors in orbit um, and angle them in such a way that capture that sunlight in space and uh, reflect it uh, to the Earth. Um, and yeah, and in, in that sense, I think it's, uh, it's a different concept than, uh, what is proposed generally, uh, by, uh, satellites. And, and you wrote an article about this in the conversation and, and there was actually a test of this back in the eighties. Yes. I didn't know about that. Yes. Uh, but the concept historically, uh, is very old actually. Um, and even uh, before the modern space era, the first, First mention of the concept uh, goes back to Hermann Oberth's, uh, the, the pioneer rocket scientist uh, Hermann Oberth's book, uh, Ways to Space Flight, uh, which was translated by NASA uh, sometime in, uh, I believe, 60s or 70s. Uh, and there is a mention of uh, large reflectors uh, illuminating uh, airports, um, ship routes, and uh, things like that. And the concept actually um, got some interest by... Um, NASA in, in late 60s to early 80s with the hope of space shuttles, uh, space shuttle uh, bringing the cost down to, to launching things into space. And uh, I believe in the 70s, also the oil crisis some, somehow affected uh, the sort of disinterest towards renewables and perhaps space-based solutions. And it's also around the same time where the other concept solar power satellites are also being sort of proposed. And, uh, and on and off, the, the, the concepts got some traction in the um, 80s and early 90s. Uh, Russia studied uh, this in the early 90s, and 
it was actually some kind of a solar sail uh, test and also a solar power test uh, as an application uh, of these like large reflectors in space. And they are actually, uh, they, they, they succeeded essentially. They um, uh, put a 20 meter reflector uh, unfurled from a Progress spacecraft, which is servicing spacecraft to mirror um, a, a space station at the time. And yeah, uh, it's been tested, and and uh, I think I think in the news, the New York Times uh, published a news about it, and uh, there were some uh, concerning readers also read, uh, writing back to uh, to New York Times as well, concerned readers, um, and there were more proposals in uh, in the Russian uh, space program. There was another uh, uh, reflector that is launched. Uh, I think uh, just before the uh, 2000, uh, it was a 25-meter uh, uh, reflector, which uh, unfortunately snagged in the deployment mechanism. And then uh, uh, the program stops, I believe, because of the, the Russian space program uh, losing interest in this. But the ultimate proposal was to, to, to launch things in 60, 70 meters and even uh, up to 200 meter large uh, reflectors to use it for this purpose or as, as solar sailing as well. So this was a long explanation to your short question. Right. But yeah, yes. no, but it's, but it's, I mean, the thing that's kind of interesting is, is that it's essentially the same technology, that it's a solar sail and yeah. the, and the thing that would be used for potentially propulsion exactly. could also be used for reflecting light to some destination to provide power. Exactly. You know, and yeah. Yeah, and like I think about places like the moon, yeah, where you know we have the need, you know, we have the, you know, we have uh, two weeks of darkness, and any any rover spacecraft that's on the surface of the moon is now out of energy, waiting for the sun to come back, and this is when they die, and if there would be a way to to reflect power light at them to fill their solar panels, maybe we could prevent that. Uh, I'm glad you brought up this because I was going to bring it up at some at some point. Uh, yes, I mean I, I think um, where we need uh, energies is another place where we need energies is the moon and and Mars and and anywhere really. Uh, either humans or or, or uncrewed systems uh, are going. We will uh, eventually needing uh, energy. And when you when you think about uh, lunar surface and lunar darkness. Um, uh, when you have a rover, or maybe there's an astronaut moving around in a in a little rover as well, um, or you have a um, you know a settlement where uh, we will need power. So reflectors like this could provide uh, that sunlight, and also it's a, it's a raw form of uh, energy as well. So it could be heat when uh, a, a rover is too uh, you know cold. To, to, to keep it uh, warm, uh, as well as illumination in the sense that, you know, astronauts could use it for, um, you know, uh, for various operations on the surface. And, uh, you know, again, other rovers could also use it in the lunar caves when they were looking for uh, water or water ice and, uh, I don't know, bottoms of craters where you might need the illumination to uh, guide your landers. Uh, so there are many, I think, applications if you have, uh, I don't know, a constellation of reflectors um, around the moon, uh, if, you, if you wish, in the future. And so, I mean, so let's imagine that you put some of these reflectors in into orbit around Earth, and their job is to 
reflect sunlight at the solar farms on Earth to give them more power? How, what kind of extension to a solar panel's light collecting time do you sort of anticipate? Yeah, so it really depends on the altitude that uh, you launch things. So in, in our studies, we've looked at relatively um, lower um, uh, orbits around the Earth. And the, and the reason for it is that we've, we are only considering flat reflectors. And what that means is that once you capture the sunlight and reflect it onto the surface of the Earth, your solar power, your, your image of the solar disk will be much larger than the, the reflector itself. And the, the solar power density will be low. Uh, and if you go higher orbits, then then uh, solar power density goes lower. Uh, so the system somehow favors uh, a lower altitudes unless you make your reflector larger. And uh, so for that reason, we've looked at uh, something about 900, 1000 kilometer altitude orbit, which is about uh, twice the, the altitude of International Space Station, um, uh, essentially. And in that case, we get about 20 minutes or so of an extension to the uh, energy generation. This sounds a little bit short, uh, and I'm aware of that, but uh, a, a couple of reflectors uh, just uh, added in a, a, a in a constellation could essentially extend this uh, all the way uh, uh, up a couple of hours, uh, both before and after sunset uh, or before and after sunrise, uh, uh, such that we could um, extend this electricity generation times of where um, the the electricity demand is, is is higher and the prices are higher as well. So this is generally compensated by um, fossil fuels uh, when renewables are not sufficient, like such as wind or, or, or sun. Uh, so um, these reflectors could potentially provide some uh, uh, sunlight that turns into electricity. And so would one reflector be, as it's orbiting at that thousand kilometer altitude, is it sort of hitting one solar farm and then it's hitting the next one and then it's hitting the next one is that sort of the the, the approach yes so um i believe one last uh, one different thing from generally the the traditional sort of solar power satellite is the uh, reflectors are essentially decoupled or independent from terrestrial uh, solar power infrastructure so as the as spacecraft orbits the earth rotates underneath so that means uh, the sort of ground trace of the orbit um, can, well, if there is a solar power farm or any uh, sort of ground target that needs uh, to, to turn sunlight into to energy, uh, electricity, um, they can, can use this, this system essentially. So um, some of our studies, uh, we've also considered some uh, hypothetical solar PV farms around the earth and um, 20 and maybe more uh, solar PV farms could be uh, possible to service um, such that they can both day and sort of early uh, night hours continue to generate energy. And, and how big is this sale, this reflective sale going to be to sort of nicely match the size of a solar farm? Um, so it, it, essentially, uh, the reflectors that we are considering will really, because of the solar image or the project sort of illuminated area on ground, um, they operate best with the ultra large solar power farms. So it, sort of individual rooftop uh, solar panels won't be the target for these systems, but really ultra large systems, kilometers and kilometers wide, perhaps. Um, um, so uh, 
and to to generate meaningful electricity, we kind of consider um, a, in our study about 250 meters, a sort of side lengths hexagonal reflectors. Hexagonal that that, that choice is more structural and, and design uh, a choice, but it could be a circular um, uh, shape as well in that case, uh, or a, or a square in for that matter. Uh, and in our study, we've looked at five of those that gives uh, approximately an area of one kilometer diameter circle. Uh, and uh, that generates about um, 35 megawatt hours uh, per pass. And that's um, something about, um, I think in UK, I'll, I'll give an example from UK, and, and I don't know how it works in other places, but it's, uh, it's about the average sort of uh, electricity use per year uh, for a for a home, so it can it can actually power up uh, some hundreds of some hundreds and uh, maybe thousands of homes with a with a, a couple of extra reflectors. So the numbers obviously vary based on electricity uh, use by homes, but uh, yeah, this is so kind I'm kind of, of I'm kind of imagining. Them. So so these would be like like attached hexagonal. I'm sort of imagining something like the James Webb Space Telescope's mm-hmm. main mirror, but as a giant solar sail floating in space, reflecting sunlight down to yeah. Earth. But I guess that's yeah. seven seven hexagons as opposed to five. Yeah, I, I mean, approximately. Uh, I mean, it, it, I think our design looks quite similar to what uh, that main mirror of, of James Webb Space Telescope, except that it's much larger, yes. And the, and the choice of that was motivated mostly because uh, it's easier to... Uh, bring multiple triangles, same units of triangles together, if you are to uh, use in space assembly or, um, or manufacturing that kind of, uh, it's a more sort of a future um, outlook uh, for the concept. But like, would this fit within say one launch fairing of a, of a rocket? Yes, for, um, in our designs, we've. Uh, I think everyone is looking at Starship at the moment, and uh, and in our design, we kind of limits uh, limited our uh, maximum size based on Starship fairing. So we imagine in a sort of a folded configuration, this will fit uh, in Starship. But the, I think it, um, it really depends on if Starship is going to fly or not eventually. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right. But the, but the but the point is that you would build a like each one of these reflectors would fit up inside a starship, or maybe a, the smaller version would fit inside a traditional five meter fairing, and then it would be launched to that orbit, and then it would deploy, and now you would be getting the reflective power of this. So, from a like from just like a doing the math perspective, right? The traditional idea is we build a solar panel array in space. It's collecting power, it's storing it locally, it's then beaming it down to Earth somehow with a microwave at some receiving station, uh, sort of a different machine in terms of like being able to generate power. So did you like just compare the price per watt (laughs) from (laughs) your strategy versus kind of like these traditional ideas of power generation? Um, I don't know if there's... could be directly comparable because I think the um, sort of building of a solar power satellite goes hand in hand with the with the, the ground system as well. In our case, it's a little bit different and um, potentially cheaper 
I'm saying this cautiously because uh, obviously in the space development, we don't never really know how how expensive can, things can be all of a sudden. Um, cautiously, I'm saying that it could potentially be cheaper. Uh, it's a relatively simpler approach and relatively simpler system. And um, uh, technically speaking, solar sales have been launched uh, in space as well. But there are many challenges because uh, it's a massive system that hasn't. It's it's larger than International Space Station if you think about it. And uh, there are control challenges that. Uh, technologies that need to be developed. There are, um, uh, you know, other issues uh, in terms of uh, potentially, you know, uh, regulatory issues uh, related to launching something large into space in this way. So I think this all brings uh, uh, levels of cost that we cannot really predict at the moment. But I think... uh, it could potentially offer a cheaper uh, alternative. I'm saying this cautiously, so I don't want to. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think it's. I mean, I think it's safe to say because, like, the estimations for power generation from space are just like still sort of ludicrous. Yeah. And it just there's like no model where it makes more sense to try and generate your power from space than to just to add another solar panel. And I guess that's what you're really competing with is. Does it make more sense to try to reflect the light or does it make more sense just to add more solar panels or maybe build wires from places that are still in sunlight to the places that are in darkness? I mean, ultimately, so the sun is really the closest thing we have to infinite energy. It's because it's going to be there for another uh, couple of billions of years. Uh, But Earth is rotating. Eventually, uh, solar power farms will not generate uh, electricity when there's no sunlight. Um, we've, um, I haven't run it personally, but in our research group, we've run a, a study on comparison between energy storage uh, and orbiting solar reflectors. And in some cases, actually, solar reflectors uh, could turn out to be uh, more profitable than energy uh, storage. And um, in those cases, I guess, you save some space with uh, energy storage and also uh, potentially money. And there's some, uh, I guess, uh, uh, sort of carbon cost of that as well. Uh, something I refer to to NASA study in that in that case as well. But ultimately, uh, there are cases where solar reflectors could could prove more profitable than uh, putting uh, more um, solar power farms. But I think uh, ultimately we should put more solar power farms. We could we could still put reflectors in space and uh, eliminate them and and uh, continue generating even more uh, uh, renewable energy while uh, reducing our uh, fossil fuel uh, reliance. I think. So yeah, uh, I, mean, I mean, I guess like in the future, like right now, obviously, you know, when the sun goes down, then then your solar panels don't work. But if you've got a really nice uh, network between solar panels around the earth, then as some are in shadow, others are in light and you're connecting them up. And so maybe, I mean, I know it's kind of hard to get power conduits across the Pacific ocean to, <laughs> to supply yeah, I mean, Europe. I think, well, I, I think right. there's, there's that issue as well. Uh, if you, if you are sort of transmitting power with cables for uh, longer distances, you're also losing, uh, along the way. Uh, and also that is expensive too. Um, I think there's a, a, a number of projects around the uh, around the world kind of connecting uh, underwater 
like electricity through underwater. There's one between UK and Morocco. There's another one between Australia and Singapore. So there's a, a, a number of projects, but they're also um, quite costly uh, if you think about it. And uh, there's also a lot of loss uh, in, in transmitting as well. So maybe the energy people uh, won't like what I'm saying. So I don't want to go too much, but uh, yeah. Uh, I think there's a benefit in, in employing uh, potentially space-based systems as well. And so let's talk about sort of like how it's going to be perceived from the surface of the planet. Mm-hmm. Now, now your proposal is that you're only adding really just a few minutes to each solar panel because that's just how long you're in sunlight for before the solar panels are in or before the reflector is in, in shadow too. So, you know, if you're standing on the ground – and the sun goes down and now you're not getting energy under your solar panels, but now you're seeing the reflector. How long will you see it before it all, it also is no longer visible? Um, so the total pass duration in lower Earth orbits is, is about 15, 20 minutes. Um, so this is the time that uh, reflectors could potentially be visible. But the, the brightest part of the, the illumination will be when it is close to the sort of overhead or like zenith points, which is about, uh, in those altitudes, about uh, three or four minutes uh, in total. Uh, yeah. But but it'll be that. still twilight. Like it won't be dark. It'll be the sun has just gone down and for, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour after the sun has gone down, you're still yeah. seeing this thing going across the sky. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, uh, you know, I, my imagination from the, uh, the, uh, the the results I get is is that unless you're very close to it, I, I don't think it will be actually visible. There might be a, a little, it might look like a little bit of a, a star. And that geometric uh, sort of calculation that, that um, uh, I did doesn't also tell us that it will be too bright and too too big. Um, and, and I think, uh, obviously, in the videos, in, in the conversation article, there's like a nice sort of uh, uh, night view, which looks quite illuminated. But uh, I think in sunrise, like just before sunrise and just after sunset, there's still a lot of illumination. Uh, the, the sky is still quite bright. At maximum, we uh, estimate uh, illumination or brightness would be is about overcast day. So maybe a little bit, a little bit darker than how my background is uh, right now. Right. If <laughs> if you could right. see it, uh, yeah. But but you're expecting that it would be more targeted. So yes, it, wherever the like it's going to be targeted to where the solar farm is. Absolutely. They're going to be the people experiencing the brighter light, but not necessarily people outside of that. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, because of the geometry, there will be parts where the illumination will be uh, outside of a solar power farm as well. Um, uh, but uh, ultimately, as, as, the, as the reflector goes overhead, uh, that gets really small and... Uh, Depends on, depending on the size of the solar power farm, obviously, but if it's large enough, it's completely contained within the solar uh, PV farm. So uh, ultimately, no one around it could could really experience that additional light either. Maybe just and just the, the solar panels. Uh, at least that's right. Uh, but the I mean the 
it's not hovering in space. You know, it is orbiting at that mm -hmm. thousand kilometer, unless it's with a geosynchronous orbit. Yeah. It's, it's going to be moving. Yeah. And so for some number of minutes, it's going to be over top of the solar farm, but then it's going to be to the north of the solar farm or to the south of the solar farm. And yeah. so if you're in that, like, is there going to be like for people on the ground experiencing this, if you're on the track, I sort of think about it like if you're going to try and watch a solar eclipse and if you're on the track of the solar eclipse, then you can see the solar eclipse the entire track through. Yeah. Is it like that, that if you're on that track, you're going to see the the brighter surroundings? Yeah. So um, again, so, so in, in, in much lower altitudes, I, I, I explain the situation when we are overhead, but in, in much lower sort of uh, elevations, I'm sorry, in much lower elevations, the, the solar image or the illuminated area will be extremely stretched. So it will be much larger at times than uh, than solar power farm. But it, it, I think we need to is, uh, also consider the fact that we always capture the same amount of uh, energy in space. And when you uh, sort of distribute it in a much larger area, the, the brightness becomes even less. So uh, in the in the much lower elevations, actually the the brightness decreases in levels that might not be even recognized or realize uh, you know uh, realized by anyone uh, even around the solar power farm. I think so, there's there's that too. Right. So sorry, just I'm trying to understand. So yeah. so it is orienting itself mm -hmm. during its orbit to remain focused on the solar farm as it makes its pass in the yes. area. Is that it like it is actually it does have control. So it is attempting to to point its reflection at the solar farm for for as long as it can. And then in theory, it'll have a different target and then reorient itself into a different direction. Is that so it's not just a static fixed reflector in space that's just casting a beam it is actually trying to target itself to wherever the the power is needed yeah so uh, yeah, okay. it, it 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 essentially uh, sort of moves around the the solar pv farm it captures the sunlight and uh, reflects it well in our uh, modeling it's the center of solar pv farm but uh, you know it's it's this it's the solar pv farm that we are targeting and and the orientation is just following uh, right. that, uh, yeah. So there, there's I no- I mean, because I think about like, yeah. like when the International Space Station flies overhead and then you just, you see it pop up in the, you know, in the West and it flies overhead and it's this bright star that goes across the sky and then it, it fades. But, but if it, I guess, if the International Space Station was completely dark, but it had one- uh, reflector that it was aiming at me, <laughs> right, the entire time, then I would see it, but maybe a friend who's just a few kilometers away from me wouldn't see it. Because yeah, so in uh, so I'll go back to that Russian experiment. So there's there, there are the, um, the reports. Uh, so obviously, I, I was very small, so I don't, I don't remember any of it. But uh, there are reports that because that, that experiment was just, it wasn't pointing anywhere. It was just uh, uh, capturing the sunlight and that was in the overhead uh, position like International Space Station at all times. So it was a circular illuminated area just traveled across the face uh, of the Earth in that case. Uh, what we are trying to do is, is different than that. So we uh, completely orient the reflector to a service or illuminate solar power farm for a given duration. And then we sort of angle away and sort of actually go edge on to the sun. So actually nothing is uh, reflected in principle. 
so that's the that's the idea uh, of the reflectors that we are proposing. Right, and, and that's the and you know that is the concern from the astronomical community with mm -hmm. the rise of these satellite mega constellations is that these things are more like that international space station example. They're flying overhead. They're not, you know, they're they're leaking light in all directions, and they just are casting these these illuminations. But, but, I'm a, so in, in your from your perspective, you're going to say, okay, no, we're going to respect where the observatories are, make sure that we aren't directing our light anywhere near them. Like it's going to be hopefully in collaboration with the astronomical community. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it, 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 the difference with, for example, Starlink uh, constellation, it is, uh, you know, it was reflective on the solar panels, and there's no way that they can angle away to to not be visible. I think, uh, but it, so we we took these regulatory and environmental issues uh, in the best way that we can approach with the skill set we have from the very beginning. So the control strategy that we developed and shared it in that in that technical paper actually included um, sort of as soon as the operation is finished, we go edge on uh, such that in principle, no light is reflected to the ground. Now, this is something that uh, you know we consider uh, when we are um, um, uh, you know, doing our studies, and and uh, we accept that these are legitimate concerns, and we try to uh, bring up numbers, do our modeling, and uh, and try to answer as much of those uh, you know questions as possible. Uh, and I think uh, when it comes to uh, sort of uh, solar power farms and astronomical observatories, that too, uh, to, to my understanding, uh, there's usually not a lot of overlap between those two places. Because uh, solar power farms need to be relatively accessible, uh, whereas astronomical sort of observatories are very high up and actually, uh, you know, dark and you know, uh, remote places. And I think there's, there's, a, there's a, I mean, there could be one solar power farm very close to that, that observatory that I don't know. But I, I think, for to my understanding, there's generally uh, not a lot of overlap between uh, those two. And with the sort of operational approach that we um, try to bring, um, hopefully uh, these concerns will be um, answered as well. Right, right. Um, so we talked briefly about this idea of like supplying power to the moon. You, you sort of listed off a bunch of ideas as well about yeah. illuminating, uh, you know, caves on Mars and things like that. So, so where do you sort of see the some of the other applications for this kind of reflective power supply? Uh, I think uh, well, Mars could be possible uh, a, a possible application. Um, I think um, there's the uh, it, because the, the Martian atmosphere is thinner than the the Earth atmosphere, and uh, because it's kind of like a smaller object, you have a longer time to deliver energy and less uh, less of the the energy that is lost in the atmosphere. So that there could be some uh, interesting applications by um, you know illuminating uh, sort of Martian bases or or you know illuminating landing spots possibly uh, of of these uh, you know rovers and and and, and so on. Um, and other than that, there are uh, you know these reflectors go into 
if you just reflect the light away, you could use it for climate engineering type of solo geoengineering type type of more sort of far term applications uh, as well. Uh, these are some of the, the the other things, obviously, other than solar sailing, which you could uh, use and power your um, spacecraft. I mean, I mean, one of the big problems in the outer solar system is that you're getting a lot less energy from the sun. Like when you're at Mars, I think it's like one quarter the solar energy, maybe to half. Um, when you're at Jupiter, it's like one twenty fifth, yeah. and it gets even worse out at out at Saturn. So, yeah. is there a like? Like, say you had a rover on the surface of Europa, um, you know, <laughs> either you, it's powered by a nuclear battery mm-hmm. or it's got just an enormous amount of solar panels that are dwarfing the thing. Or maybe you put something in orbit that is reflecting sunlight down yeah. at it. And, and you know, you're talking about what seems like more of like a, like a flat reflection. Mm-hmm. Can you focus it? Could you say... So you didn't have that James Webb, those panels, right? Could you be beaming seven panels worth of energy down to one panel's worth of, of receiving area? Um, actually, I've, uh, I've done a mathematical modeling on this, and I actually looked at uh, different planets. And it's going to be a little bit technical, and hopefully I'll try to explain it in, in, uh, in as accessible as possible. So as you go away from the sun, obviously the, the, the sun's intensity is, 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 is decreasing with, roughly uh, about the, the square of, of the distance that you uh, uh, that you're away from the sun but at the same time so the the, the operation principle of reflectors you don't assume the sunlight being completely parallel to the reflector but there's there's because because there's like a, a circular shape of the sun you have this uh, angular uh, diameter and that that's why you get a, a larger image uh, on on the ground as well so when you move away from uh, the uh, the Earth, the angle sort of that subtended by the sun on the reflector gets much smaller, and and uh, even though you uh, sort of capture uh, less energy, sometimes in some cases the solar uh, the illuminated area on ground is small enough that your solar power density is actually higher than. Uh, you know, closer places to the sun. So I'll give you an example. Uh, obviously, for the moon and Earth, doesn't matter much because they are almost the same distance to the to, to the sun. But if you think about Mars, uh, actually, the solar power density gets a little bit higher, uh, or the energy delivered to the surface, the quantity of energy delivered to the surface for the sort of same amount, same uh, altitude, gets a little bit higher than the Earth because the atmosphere is thinner. Uh, your angle, sort of that subtended by the sun, is uh, smaller, so that your solar power density gets a little bit higher. It's a, it's kind of counterintuitive, but in some cases, in some uh, planetary bodies, you can get a little bit higher energy than uh, than others that are closer to the sun. So it, it's not impossible to to generate uh, solar energy on 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 Europa, which could be a higher than, I don't know, some other body that's closer to, um, uh, to the sun. I think about in the Expanse TV show, um, yes, they serious, had right? Ganymede, <laughs> right? They had Ganymede. They had these, yeah. these uh, reflecting light sort of in, in space that were reflecting sunlight down to the greenhouses on Ganymede, yeah. which was supplying the, 
the vegetables to the outer solar system, which I thought was really cool. And yeah, so, it and actually, so I wonder, like, is there <laughs> this? Like, I wonder, is is you know, there's this cost trade off. And I know these these studies have been done where it's like yeah. the farther you get from the sun, the more it starts to make sense to to have a lens that is reflecting the sunlight and then concentrating it on your solar panels versus just having bigger and bigger and bigger solar panels. Like there's this, yeah. this cost benefit that switches over to a certain point in the solar system. I haven't actually studied the, uh, the concentration. There, there's so a bunch I'm, of papers. Like, I've, I've seen them in the past. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. going to, yeah, I'm not going to, um, so I cannot really, uh, like, uh, give a, a definitive answer on this, but, um, um, I, I don't know. I think, I think, uh, so it, I guess the, the sort of the, the area that you eliminate will be, uh, smaller as you go further in the, uh, in the solar system. And that, and that means even if you make the, uh, solar panels or the area of, uh, solar farms bigger, uh, it, I think there will be a point that, uh, parts of those solar panels won't be eliminated anyway. Uh, I think maybe the, there's there's a limit that focusing becomes better than uh, than just making bigger uh, sort of solar power farms in, in, in other solar systems. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I know there's been some studies on this and I just sort of, yeah. I forget the numbers exactly, yeah. but but yeah. that that at a certain point, I feel like sa beyond Saturn or something like that, mm -hmm. that that actually you make small solar panels and large reflectors that are that are concentrating the sunlight onto your small solar panels because giant solar sails are less you know less expensive yeah. than yeah. giant solar panels and so there's this trade-off at a certain point with the complexity and all that so yeah future study I'll, I'll i'll see if i can dig up the papers and, and yeah. send them your way um sure. so what are you obsessed with right now I am um, obsessed with, I think, uh, various solutions that we can come up with these reflectors. Uh, I can I, I can see a lot of possibilities in terms of um, uh, you know space exploration that where we can use these reflectors to to power our satellites and uh, illuminate solar power farms in Mars or or the Moon. Um, and generally uh, solve some of the, not solve, but at least address some of the energy problems that we have both on Earth or um, uh, elsewhere uh, with some uh, space-based solutions. Uh, this space has been my passion uh, since early years of my education. So it's, uh, yeah, and I'm passionate about doing these. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and, and good luck with your research. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dr. Onar Tillich. I'm going to give you a lot more thoughts about this, but first, I'd like to thank our patrons. Thanks to Abe Kingston, Hey Twilight, Dougie Stewart, Stephen Krasaki, David Richards, Mark Ansis, Joel Yancey, Antonio Lofilara, Dustin Cable, Vlad Chiplin, Modso, George, David Gilton, Andrew M. Gross, Jeremy Mattern, Josh Schultz, and Jordan Young, who support us at the Master of the Universe level, and all of our other supporters on Patreon. Now, the focus of this interview is really about whether or not you can use these solar panels here on Earth to get more sunlight, the reflectors, that all sounds great. But like, I'm more interested in those fundamental technologies, like building giant solar sails, putting them in space, and then using that to reflect sunlight. It's the places away from the Earth where we don't have that infrastructure where this technology will 
could probably see its greatest benefit. Imagine being able to reflect sunlight down onto rovers on Mars so they don't have to have giant solar panels or nuclear batteries. You can just deliver them power on a regular basis or on the moon where you're giving rovers power during the two week long night on the surface of the moon farther out into the solar system where maybe we're going to run out of these nuclear RTGs, the kinds of things that are powering up curiosity and perseverance. But instead, you can use reflectors onto the solar panels, missions to Europa, missions to Saturn, missions to Uranus, Neptune, maybe all the way out to Pluto. I mean, it's just a matter of like a larger solar sail. And yet that development of larger solar sail technology will have value for all kinds of things about us being able to eventually travel interstellar distances. So sort of meets all kinds of things that I'm really interested in. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it too. Now I've done another interview just about solar power generation and beaming, but not down to earth, but to other locations in space. And so if you're interested in sort of learning more about that, here's another interview for you. All right, we'll see you next time.